0: Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. I never get used to that sound. I never
1: get they used to should that ask that. me to record that. I'd they
0: should. Them. They yeah. should.
1: Recording <laughs> in progress. <laughs> yeah.
0: All <right>. You dummy. <laughs> you just press record, and now I got to tell you that recording is in progress. Oh wait a minute. Yeah, it's not for you. It's for the other. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you tuned into this episode. We are picking up again. Appreciative inquiry. inquiry. Let me say that again. Appreciative inquiry. In Higher Education, A Transformative Force by Jeannie Cockle and Joan MacArthur Blair. Shout out to Jeannie and Joan. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're all back from from holidays and ready to get back into this fantastic book. We're going to be talking about chapter seven specifically, maybe dip our toes into chapter eight because it's a great resource. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. But we want to focus in on chapter seven, being an appreciative inquiry practitioner in higher ed. Hello, ladies. How are you doing? Good morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, good.
2: <laughs> Very good. So nice to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To leave the holiday world,
1: but really great to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And I think, um, you know, being, a, being back into work in, you know, the first week and refreshing this, you know, going over this book and, and looking back at some of the, the things that we've talked about and, um, this, these particular chapters, and preparing for the the autumn, the fall season. And um, w- this is what we need to get us going. This and coffee. This will get us uh, <laughs> This will get yeah. us prepared for mm-hmm. uh, for the, this upcoming semester. So yeah, I'm excited
0: little Bailey's in the coffee wouldn't hurt either, but
1: no, that's for, that's for remote work, not for <laughs> <Yeah>. in office, <laughs> we're all on campus. Uh.
0: As we were saying off air remote from the boat. Yeah. The
1: boat. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: Sally, yeah. how you doing? You were off for a chunk of time, girl. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I finally um, had a space where I could take the holiday that I'd accrued over the last couple of years. And, um, excuse me. It was just amazing. It Mm -hmm. was absolutely amazing. And I realize how much, I mean, I've heard you both say this, like we all need time to recharge, but Mm. it really was a true break. And um, yeah, I feel really good and ready to go and just, you know, what Lucy said there, it was, this is such a great book. Like, we keep coming back to this message of how valuable this book is to us as educators and to, you know, in the leadership roles that we play. But my goodness, chapter seven is a great start mm-hmm. to the semester in September, mm-hmm. especially a semester like this one in 2021 where it's nothing is normal. Nothing mm-hmm. looks familiar and so much is unknown. And for me, this is a very hopeful way of starting off this
0: semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's, it's almost like, okay, we're 19, 20 months in. We think we would have got it figured out by now, but it just feels like we're just juggling different things. We haven't really stopped juggling, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No, and we also have to reimagine now. So like, you know, this is why this, sto- this chapter you know, uh, reminding ourselves like how we got here, the journey we've been on and how we can use those experiences moving forward, uh, rather than to go back to 2019, you know, how can we continue on, you know, this great path forward, um, and where, where do we want to be in you know, the next year or, or three years or five years? So, yeah. um, this, this chapter is really good to kind of reframe your, your thinking.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So let's start off right with the foundations, because that first paragraph really kind of sets the whole tone. And and I think it's it rings very true that practitioners bringing A.I. into higher education need to deeply understand the world of teaching and research and be grounded in the theories of higher and adult education practices. And then facilitating A.I. in higher ed needs to be grounded in other facilitating practices. That's it almost sounds like a no brainer, but I'm glad that they said that out loud. Right. what do, what do you mm-hmm. think?
2: Absolutely, Tim. I, that was music to my ears really was. Cause I, you know, one of the things that I always struggle with is, um, and there was actually a debate on Twitter the other day and it was around learning styles and um so you know that always gets people fired up and and somebody was saying finally you know my my sister is now taking her master's and she has come to me and said after five years of arguing this I now understand why the learning styles um mindset well has been debunked because I've got it now and and I sort of joined into the conversation and I said what always fascinates me is that quite often those that, that speak to the strengths of, you know, the, the learning styles, um, let's say mindset rather than theory, then claim to be social constructivists. Well, you can't be both, like, mm-hmm. you know, and yet they're arguing both. So when we actually take you know, these ideas, and we need to ground them in theories. We need to ground them in educational theories. And when we do that, we can see that we've got conflicting ideals as such. So this, when I read this around, um, you know, from Jeannie and Joan about being um, an AI practitioner, we do need to ground our practice in educational theory. And it just, you know, it really highlighted for me those times where i've been in workshops and i've been quite aware that the facilitator does not have a deep understanding of educational theories mm-hmm. and practices and that disconnect doesn't it, it it causes more problems really than, than, you know, value. So that, you know, this really speaks to the strengths of say for ourselves and other educators out there and other practitioners out there, why this is just another tool that we, that we bring into our toolkits yeah. on top of all that other, you know, that journey and yeah. Lucy, you just mentioned a minute ago about our own journeys. So I'm going to hand over to you because you probably want to hop in and speak to that.
1: Yeah, hopping? Yeah. No, hopping. Uh, we, were, we were talking about this just offline. Like, like This this chapter was, um, you know, we talk about the, the three of us and also, you know, Chad, and Flynn, we we were in constant communication like all the time, but we, one of the, one of the mantras that connected us all was that, you know, life is an apprenticeship and Mm -hmm. being able to connect that educational theory with your experiences and your lifelong learning, like that's, that's the magic right there. Like that's what, that binds it all together. And, you know, when in the, in the beginning of this chapter, they talk about, you know, the storytelling piece and and how you can use that in many different ways when you're facilitating these types of workshops. One of the the things that I I think I've spoken to Sally and Tim about before was when I was taking my uh, master's degree, my professor at the time, uh, Dr. Michael Ling, did an exercise with us called This Is What I Believe and This Is Why. And basically, it was a time for us to to do our storytelling piece to kind of tell us, tell the whole class how we got to this classroom today and the steps that we took to get there and the different um, experiences that we had to prepare us to be in this classroom. And um, it was a complete, it was in the middle of our master's degree. So we were like a year in at this point, that this is the class that brought us all together. We finally understood each other. We finally understood the direction that each of us wanted to go to. And even though we all fanned in, and we met in this one point, and we were all going to leave and fan out into do different things. You no, know, we we uh, we had to share these stories in order for us to understand, support each other, and make it a really rich experience. So that was one activity where storytelling. Um, it really, it really propelled my thinking in in my master's degree, and um, and then we got to learn about you know twenty other different experiences that led them to this room. So. Um, so use of storytelling and, and that narrative, it's so powerful and there's so many different ways you can use it. So, um, and so that, that piece of, you know, what we talk about life as an apprenticeship and bringing all that experience in with your understanding of, of um, you know, theory or pedagogy, and the, the different needs of different learners, you know, like I said, it's, it's magic. It's, it's what makes you a good facilitator because you bring everyone together through their vision not through your vision of how they should be together so yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and absolutely Lucy and and what you're talking there with you know Dr Michael Ling is that he made space for that conversation and and for me that was the first big message that I got from Mm -hmm. Jeannie and Joan in in chapter seven was that they're making space for these conversations and and, and and I thought about like very quickly around all the times where there has been space given for this, for this mm-hmm. opportunity. And also the facilitation model, Like they talk about the circle and they talk about why the circle is, why that changes. is. I think the change is the hierarchy within the group as such. And, and I thought about times when I have been in these kind of conversations but either i my voice has been excluded or i've been very very aware that somebody else's voice has been excluded like so when you see that happen so sometimes you know facilitators feel that they're making space for stories but they're only making space for stories that they they value so there's somewhere they're making this sort of judgment call whereas you know the the model that or some, one of the models that um, Joan and Jeannie suggest really, and they speak to it. First of all, they tell you know they talk to the group about why we're taking this physical structure of a circle. And um, a, a colleague and friend of mine, Rita Gower, for her masters, she actually focused in on the talking circle as um, as a practice that she implemented with her students. And one of the key elements was that you only listened you didn't respond. And I think that just even putting that into play, and maybe that's something I don't know, Lucy, whether you did that, but um, in your sessions in your masters, but just even that concept, the first time I heard that concept, like, oh, right. So you, your role isn't to respond to what people have said. So it shifts how we normally interact and again, opening up more space for storytelling.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that. And, and it, it brings me back to all these facilitation uh, opportunities I've had to do. And I, I love facilitating. Um, and the fun part for me is taking everyone's story and weaving it together to have a narrative for the whole group and and that that's powerful and like what you were saying lucy that when you were together for a year in your masters program and you did that one activity or you had that one class with that one professor and that that solidified it all for you it makes me think that had you known the backstories of your fellow classmates sooner you would have had that experience sooner the the argument against that would be well you don't really know each other that well yet so you know doing that exercise may not have carried the depth of impact because you don't have that time together to kind of be the glue, the cohesion for all of that. I, I, I tend to, I tend to push back or disagree with that argument a tiny bit, because from my perspective, I love getting that narrative out early because that now sets the tone for everything that we do down the road from there. Um, so for me, the facilitation piece, when, when we're bringing stories together, and whether it's around a table and and I like doing it in a U shape, if the, if the, the number of participants are, are large enough, uh, that way everyone can still see each other. But then I have the opportunity to kind of move in and out of that middle part of the U and, and, and do some facilitation magic. And I'm not the first one to use that word on this podcast, Lucy <laughs> brought it in. So. And I, yeah. yeah. um, I,
1: I, I agree with that. Um, you know, in some cases, I think in this particular case, we needed that year to start to build relationships so that we trusted enough to speak our true story. Because I think if we'd have done this earlier on, we would have given the story that we wanted people to, um, you know, to to believe about us or you know the the insta story (laughs) you know the insta story that this is my wonderful life and this is the perfect night we needed that year to get to know each other so we could get to the grit and um really be vulnerable and really explain um you know there were a few tears there were a few i need a minute there was you know, a few breaks that we had to take. So it was a very powerful session. So in this particular case, I think it was done at exactly the right time because then it propelled us for our for our our final year that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about that
2: because ethnography, that's what kept coming to my mind. And like, I read a few ethnographic studies during my masters and they, I found them so powerful. And when I was looking at which methodology to use for my research, you know, ethnography really comes front and center, but you need two years to go and live in that community within that particular culture. And so obviously, you know, most of us can't just disappear for two years, whatever, but we do live within the culture of trades education. And, and, I'm just thinking, so, you know, somebody looking in and listening to our stories as such, that is that, you know, S, es- ethnography that is what it is you're learning about the values within these these whole cultures within these systems and I'm thinking with your case the example you're giving Lucy about how with your masters you'd been together one year at that point you had become your culture of your own. Like I believe every master's cohort creates their own, don't they? Their own culture. And so, yeah, I, I think that um, it'd be great, wouldn't it? If uh, Dr. Michael Ling would like to actually join in on a session and I just... Yes, I think we might tag him in this one. Yeah. Because it
0: Just would be wonderful. Right
2: yes, <laughs> it would be wonderful if he would join us and really talk about the timing of that activity he did. Because I think, you know, again, it would be great to
1: hear his story
2: mm-hmm. and and his and reflection on
0: ethos
1: and you know all these different things that connects this. Yeah. yeah. I mean totally. Um, yeah. So uh yeah, so absolutely. I think it would be really good. I mean the um and then, you know, it doesn't have to be that intense, like the storytellers, like in, in the chapter, they talk about, um, you know, where you can all tell a story about a time where you've worked on a project or in a meeting or a or a committee uh, a good example of group work a good example of that and everyone kind of shows, i did this once and it was really great and and then that's how you actually that's the activity you choose to do in that session um so again it's not something that as a facilitator you have to really you know plan for you can say i'm going to plan to ask how they want to move forward what's the bet one of the best you know activities that they've done in order to um, in order to come together or um, work, you know, work in a group setting or whatever that whatever that example may yeah. be. So, you mean storytelling is it can be used in you know in such in such different ways. It doesn't have to be you know tears, <laughs> <laughs> tears and everything, and lifelong experiences. It can be micro things that can really yeah. make a make it set a standard or set you know set precedent in that in that particular meeting.
2: On that, you know, really. That's so valuable what you've just said there, Lucy, because it, it, you know, we, we look at this as, you know, one day workshops, two day workshops or longer or whatever. But I know one of the things I really picked up on what Jean yeah. and Joan was saying, uh, Jeannie and Joan were saying about creating this culture of appreciative inquiry. So this is one of the things that I think about the sort of the sustainable practice of this and how does this become Immersed in the culture of, you know, whether it's a faculty or whether we're looking at an institutional sort of mindset. So this practice of storytelling isn't—it's not that it sort of um, lives in isolation. And we say, okay, we're going to start this today with this storytelling. How do we embed it into our practice, into our culture of our faculties, our institutions? So there is, you know, this. constant reflecting and like you said you know living the apprenticeship so we're always learning we're always telling our stories and and just even having that opportunity to reflect on when when do you feel most alive and most passionate you know really that passionate and Tim I really picked up from what you said earlier about, and even when you said it, I'm sure when you listen to this recording, you'll hear it too. When you said, I love facilitating, I mean, I've been fortunate to be in the, you know, I love it when you facilitate. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I've been, you know, either alongside you or I've been in, you know, the audience as such, or, um, in that community. And it truly shows that passion shows and anybody listening that was at the, um, BC campus uh, I can't remember cascadia. what the last cascadia, cascadia. and you yeah. you you facilitated for 3 days and it was just wonderful and I'm sure you know, for you reflecting on, or maybe we'll let's ask you. Let's ask you about what you. Yeah, let's not tell that. you. <laughs> yeah, <either>. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> let's actually use an AI approach. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll I'll come back to the book for the the starting point, and then I'll I'll answer your question. I love the sentence uh, on page one thirty seven that the building of facilitation skills is a living apprenticeship. Um, mm. Because as apprentices, you know, you're know you not gonna learn everything in four years or two years or three years or however long your apprenticeship is. And then when you're a journey person and you get that, that red seal endorsement, you still haven't learned everything. Mm-hmm. And as you get better at your trade, at your craft and your skills, you realize there's still so much more to learn. And just when you thought you had a really good handle on something, technology changes, which changes how you integrate with what you're doing. And so you never really stop learning. And so I, I really love that piece of facilitation. And then when we did the Cascadia thing, um, I was kind of bummed that it wasn't face to face. Cause I love feeding off the energy. I love, you know, the eye contact. I just, I love the whole thing. Feel yeah. the room. Yeah. I feel the room. I just, and, and I love adding to the energy. I love, I, I just love everything about it. Um, but it being all online I thought through how can I, how can I bring that feeling even to the virtual? Um, And so I, I tried to really focus in on just, uh, I don't know. um, I don't know how to even say it. Um, I just tried to focus in on not speaking as much, if that makes sense. And, and just, you know, Really practicing listening and being there mm-hmm. and there there were there were a couple times in that in that in that conference where oh man, I felt like I was dancing for <laughs> four hours and it was only a thirty minute session right and um yeah and it and and those ones stretched me like facilitated for a long time and those stretched me, but you know what, at the end of it, I was thankful for the opportunity to, to be a part of it. Um, and I guess that's why I love facilitation so much because I, I love just taking the spotlight and putting it on other people and, and, um, yeah I, I, I you you got me speechless, Sally. Um, <laughs> well
2: you did it very well, and one yeah. of the things that I learned from you because I watched you and listened to you for three days and and that actually, you know that's so interesting that, you should say that you, you know, you focus really on listening rather than talking. And and you and I chatted last week um, about the digital tool shedding When and you asked me this question at the end of it, and and I said that was one of the things I was really, you know, focusing on was listening more, communicating with those that I don't usually, that are not usually in my circle. Who do I not usually listen to? You know, going outside of that one of the things i really took away from your facilitation of those 3 days tim was your questions you asked questions that really were meaningful to the you know the person that you were interviewing at the time and you provided that space for them to tell their story and i think sometimes that, you know, maybe you're given the space like I just did to you right now, just threw you right there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but you had listened intently to their presentations in order to structure your questions. And you, you know, for most um, presenters, you maybe had two, three, four questions for them, but the questions were, I mean, it showed that you had really, um, you know, engaged in their presentation and allowed them to sort of speak further to to, you know, the, the particular topic that we're presenting on. So I thought that was, you know, that's a huge strength asking very simple questions, but they have to be structured, don't they? In the way that is meaningful to the person that you're speaking to. And maybe that's something as well with the listening you know, in order for the question to be meaningful to your, you know, your partner in that conversation, it does require to you to have listened to them prior to that as well.
1: Yeah, and continue continually be an active listener so that you can follow up with a meaningful question because you don't know what when you when you're live like that facilitating you have to be ready for that that they might answer a question and it won't connect to the next question that you had originally prepared so you just have to kind of you know kind of think on your toes there as well and yeah it was it was just it really it was a really good experience to to watch you and also respond to the presentations in a meaningful way rather than like oh great thanks that was a really good topic on uh, you know, cheers for that. <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> right. like, yeah. so Let's yeah. move it on now. So yeah. yeah, it was just, it was really good. And, and, you know, when you said before you want, you know, you hope it would have been face to face and this, this facilitation piece will connect also with the circle practice. Um, but, you know, and they talk about in the chapter about there being, um, uh, physical constraints that may prevent you know, this meaningful experience in, in a, you know, this, in this circle practice. And I think going through uh, what we've been through in the past two years, people may have thought that, you know, doing these types of events online, you know, you won't feel, um, you know, have that, that sense of connection or or that, you know, that meaningful connection. Um, you know, but I actually, you know, I, I took part in a, um, in a healing circle a couple of months ago, and um, it was all all done online and we all felt so connected that when i actually at the end of it when i actually turned my computer off and turned around and i was in my own house i was like oh my god yeah like i'm at home i need a minute i need to go and make a cup of tea and just like sit and have a minute because i was so involved in the process of how this facilitation works so sometimes you you know they talk about in this like you know move the rooms around you know in this in this space it might be the physical constraints might be you know being on online um but it doesn't mean that you can't make meaningful connections and discuss meaningful stories and allow time to connect even though it can be a bit awkward online because you can't read body language and you don't want to speak over other people so yeah Yeah. it's
2: well, listen, I think the thing is as well that, you know, going back to um, the, you know, the, I forgot the title of it again, Cam, Cam, no, I want to say Camtasia, at right? Cascadia. Cascadia. I, Camtasia. The, I know, no, oh, I've right been then. immersed in Camtasia for oh, the yeah. last couple of yeah. days. Um, the presenters had my full attention. They truly did. And, you know, um, Jeannie and Joan, they speak about these further in in this chapter. They speak about the conversations that happen at formal, you, you know, um, events where, you know, you listen to the presenter, but the corridor conversations that Mm public conversations. And these are the conversations that, you know, trying to capture, bring space for these conversations. And yet in the online environment, when you go to a conference, when you attend a conference, there were times where I was trying to work at the same time. And that was not, that was not good. Um, but so many times you had your full attention mm-hmm. on that presenter. And I mean, I have my screen set up. So whoever is speaking, they take up the full screen. So Lucy, when you were chatting just a moment ago, like I was very aware that I had my full attention on you. Whereas if I was in a room of 20 people, there are always these other distractions and we like them they're familiar and and all of that kind of stuff but i do think that the online space especially when we think about conferences has provided new opportunities that there's been lots of real um plus points around Mm -hmm. and if we reflect on them and think about you know the opportunities for um for listening and storytelling it's i think it's been quite powerful.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, um, thinking back to what you said earlier, Sally, one, one of the things that, um, I, I try to work on and I think what other facilitators who I really look up to have modeled for me is that idea of bias and just kind of putting that on a shelf or in the, in the suitcase as you enter the room and, and being willing to listen to, uh, to other people's perspectives because quite honestly, to use a metaphor, I'm not sure how, how much it'll stand up, but my, my metaphor for facilitating is very much like a, a, a waiter at a really high end restaurant, right. Where, you know, that they're there because things come and go, but they never really interrupt your time with the people that you're with. Right. Like they just have yeah, this. They get that this- joke this canny ability to just fill a exactly they sneak in and they they fill your wine glass or they fill your water or, or you know they bring bread or you know they or the, the, they know everything there is to know about the menu so if you're like yeah you know how's this and they're like well that's really good but you compare it with this and and then they just go and they let you do your thing right um so I there's there's analogy, aspects yeah. of that where i just think i i yeah. try to bring that when 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 i try to facilitate
2: and word. they listen to every word that's being said. I mean, I've been, you know, it was a long time ago now, but I've been in the restaurant where you'll have waiters that actually stand very close by the whole time. And like you say, this is high end. Yeah. When it appears that they're not listening to anything that's going on, but you know that they are actually listening to every word. They can hear everything. They hear the tones of the conversations. And I think that, you know, as you're saying, Um, Tim, you know, that facilitation should seem absolutely seamless as it goes. And and really, the people should not be aware of the
1: facilitator. It's just more of the experience that the facilitator provided. I like that analogy Like the best restaurants I've been to have been because of the service and not necessarily the food. <laughs> and so like, you know, I, I, there's definitely restaurants that I could name that I'm like, wow, like, you know, they could kind of just slide in support when you need help, you know, and um, guide you and not make you feel awkward to be in that, in that place, in that setting. And so I really do. Um, I really do like that analogy. Um I, I wanted to ask you um, what you thought about the the setting agreements piece because mm. I thought I was doing a good job of that and I realized I actually wasn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, when they talk about in the classroom setting, um so something that I've always done as a teacher. Um, is set up like classroom agreements, like as a whole. So I would normally invite, invite uh, maybe one of the counsellors or somebody else to support the process. And then the class would come up with a classroom agreement as to how they expect, you know, the next 10 months to go. But what I really liked in the chapter was that they said to focus on Uh, what is wanted, not what is not wanted. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dang it. (laughs) I thought it was doing a good (laughs) job. He was like, don't be late. No, it's not like that. But I really like how just by doing that, the whole attitude and the whole, um, I mean, I was talking about the, you know, disorganization at my son's school this morning. And, but just by flipping that context can make, just by one little thing can make such a difference. Like instead of saying like, everyone must, you know, no one should be late like just say we appreciate it if everyone could um you know arrive on time and be present when they're in the classroom and this is how we're going to practice that like it's so much more meaningful and definitely some tips I'm going to share out to you know to other educators you know it's like when you go into a business and you see on the door like no dogs no food no phones no clothes (laughs) like you know you you're like oh my god like you know, can I? And you walk in, you're quiet, and you feel like, oh, you know, it's just. And and I feel like sometimes you can set that up in your your classroom with all these don'ts, 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 don'ts. In you know, yeah. and I, so I really like that that piece.
2: And the problem with the don'ts as well, Lucy, is then it take like. So we were really fortunate about five six years ago at VIU to be selected as a program. For, um, an enhancement project and so one of the you know we went through the whole um, backward design process which you may or may not have heard me talk about in the past but our facilitator there Bill Roberson from CIL at uh, VIU We actually worked on this idea of the, you know, the class agreement there. And it was it was then when we shifted our class agreement to actually what what is the desire? Like, how do we you know, the positive and what we found was as soon as we took away these will not statements to these real like this is, you know, we We appreciate this. We want, this is what we want. This is how we want to operate all together as such. It takes away the role of the policing. So prior to that, when we had thought, you know, we we had started doing this. And, and to be fair, I think that lots of us learned this idea in our PIDP, PIDP programs. And so it was a step in the right direction. We, we've got to value that step. But what it enabled was many of the students in the classroom would take on this policing role. So mm-hmm. they would be talking about the oh, so-and-so was doing that. We said we will not use airphones in the classroom, you know, whereas, um, you know, we, if we change this around to, um, I love their two foot, is it two feet rule or something? If you're not participating, if you're not giving and you're not engaging, then use the two feet rule and leave the classroom. So giving individuals that autonomy to make the decision so instead of saying do not be on your phone in the classroom like in the classroom i you know we will engage in the you know in in the activity or we will choose to leave or something like that you know along those lines it really shifted the culture the culture around how we were going to aspire to you know collaborate together cooperate together um rather than enabling those to become little policing officers that were telling tales on everybody all the time.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And I've used the term charter for a number of meetings Mm -hmm. that I've done face to face. Um, And you're right, like focusing it or framing it in the positive. um, So instead of saying we won't be late, uh, we've used the term we value being on time. Yeah. Uh, Cause it leaves room for like, you know, if you're at a conference and let's say some emergency comes up in the morning and you're just going to be late. Right. And you come in it's like, well, you know what? We, we value starting on time, but there may be a reason why you show up late. So it we don't creates, need to
1: kill yourself to get here. Yeah,
0: exactly. exactly. It, it, and it yeah. creates space for people to go, okay, wait a minute. There might be something going on outside that I don't know about that. Absolutely. You know, so if Tim yeah. shows up late, that's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right, Lucy, like the charter now becomes the police per- person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's not Tim, the facilitator now it has to be Tim, the enforcer, right. Yeah. Where it's now it's, it's a facilitation or, or a charter piece that all of mm-hmm. you have worked on to build. So now, like you said, Sally, you now all become part of the, <laughs> the enforcement team, if we want to mm-hmm. label it that way. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And it takes away that binary of right and wrong, doesn't it? Because when mm-hmm. we live with that binary thinking, so you're late, we said we wouldn't be late, you're therefore bad, bad Tim mm-hmm. late, mm-hmm. you know. So we do that because we've learned to, you know, do that pattern. So really coming back to, you know, the book again, that shift, because that's what the author's talk about this whole creating this culture and as we reflect on our practices, so it's you know so great Lucy, like you're saying, you know, you're reflecting on how you've done you've done this in the past. And I think all throughout this chapter, because they provide so many examples, and this is what makes this book just such an incredible resource. Especially September 2021, and just gives you examples of how to structure these questions yeah. and how to work through those series of questions, and yet not provide any answers whatsoever. Really, it is empowering for I think for the facilitator and the participants, trusting that the right. Well, I'm going to say the right answers, and I don't mean the right answers. <laughs> That's too funny, talking of binary thinking here. Um, best
1: practices.
2: What will emerge is what is is the desire of the whole mm-hmm. session. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's I agree. Really good. I mean, I think too, like just being intentional with it. Like you think you're being, you know, oh, we're going to do this custom agreement. Everyone's going to be part of it. But then just thinking, you know, deeper again, like, okay, but let's make it positive. So, and facilitating that discussion. So someone says, well, I don't think that we should be able to you know, be on our phones or come in late and then just discuss that. Like where, what, where does that stem from? What, what is the, and they talk, you know, Gina and Joan talk about this. What is the reason behind this agreement? And um and then having a bit of a chat about it so people understand, oh, you know, Lucy doesn't want us to be late. Well, actually it's it's not that, but we um, you know, we want to make we want to make the most of our two hours together. And maybe if every you know, a majority of people are late, we have to shift the time or you know, but one thing with time and and again I'll go back to Dr. Michael Link, is really made you think about how you use time and um and there was, um, you know, I, I never want I never want students to drive too fast or, you know, rush or run or, you know, and, and get injured or, or colleagues or anyone like that in order to 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 be in a classroom where, um, I, you know, I'd rather them show up feeling like I'm not rushed. I'm prepared. I want to engage. And I'm, you know, this morning just didn't work out. I'm going to take a breath and get in, get into the activity. So I um. Yeah, I I really I really do like that that resource. And again, like you said, Sally, this is such a good good book for going into September twenty twenty one. And it's
2: the differences, isn't it? It's the difference between. Being an an instructor that finds you at break time and says, "Thanks for making it to class today," Mm -hmm. and or you know, providing that space for you to talk about why you were late, rather than, you know, when I first started teaching, I was actually told that I had to then write up a ticket, and at break time, I had to go and hand that student a ticket. Well, over the years, like I learned that it would be you know, absolutely horrendous, life-changing situations that had occurred to them. Either that, you know, the day before or early that morning. You know, there was a couple of incidents, well, several incidents I can recall. And 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 their practices was to then go and reprimand the student rather than say, you know, how can I help? What yeah. do you need? And and I'm just, and that kind of brings me <clears throat> to one thing that I was noticing um in the book as well. Uh, another practice that I learned very early on was the SWAT. Um, you know, acronym, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I loved it how they said, you know, shift in this to so, a yeah. and, and And really looking at strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results. Like this is a whole mindset. So again, just noticing in our practices, our everyday practices, because we can prepare to deliver a workshop and create our agenda and, and, and cross check our agenda to the SOAR, um, you know, acronym there, but it really is everyday practices, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That are, are we living by these? And I think this is how, you know, this is going to be one of my goals, like at the, you know, beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, just thinking about my interactions with others and, and maybe people listening to this, they're going to write in and just say, uh, by the way, no, you weren't focusing on the SOAR model there. But, uh, um, I know.
0: Yeah, Discover,
2: yeah. Oh, no, dream, design, destiny, I think just living that. And I'm sure, as uh, you know, the author has said, it is a journey. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be a lifelong journey.
0: Absolutely, and I think uh, this is a good place to segue into our final comments because uh, Chapter Eight is chock full of examples and how to do this, and and we'll leave that for the listeners to to read into Chapter Eight and dig in. Uh, we would all recommend grab your favorite uh, glass of wine or a coffee or tea or water, even, um, and just just soak into Chapter Eight and and mm-hmm. uh, let it permeate into your your practice. Uh, any last words about chapter seven and eight?
1: Um, I, I would like, I I really liked, um, and actually I wrote it down and I thought, I'm going to stick this on my wall. Um, when they talk about open space technology and there were, there were four different points, which maybe you can put into the show notes, um, Tim, but, Mm -hmm. um, and so when you look at facilitating, we've talked about time, we've talked about agreements, You know when we're facilitating that practice, and this kind of sums it up because it says, "Whoever comes are the right people. Whenever it starts is the right time. Whenever um, whatever happens is the only thing that could have. And when it's over, it's over. Hmm. And that can work in hundreds of thousands of different settings Mm -hmm. that you're in, Um, to a conversation with your husband at home, to facilitate in a room of four hundred people." To having a learning, talking, healing circle that you're part of—you know, whatever it is. So those four points on page two, two five or two, two six—can't be my own handwriting. Were, um, you know, I really, I really did like that. Those mm-hmm. points.
2: Nice. I think that's lovely, Lucy, because that really you know, reaffirms what I was saying earlier about this shifting the mindset from wrong and right and like just applying what you said to every aspect of their life, whether it's parenting, whether it's with their colleagues, whether it's dinner parties Mm -hmm. and just accepting, yeah, accepting more um, what life is, what Mm. life is and, and learning is. So, yeah, I think that's a really wonderful takeaway.
0: That's amazing, and yeah, and I, I love that sentence near the end. Uh, I think you, a couple of uh, a couple of times we've touched on it. Um, no one ever arrives at being a master facilitator. It's a journey of a lifetime of learning, experimenting, and attempting new ideas. And uh, that's the great thing about this is that we we never arrive. We just get better at it, uh, and we focus in on some some areas that uh, that need some some growth. And um, for those of you who are listening to the, to the podcast, you need to buy this book if you haven't bought it already, because we are not covering all of the chapters. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. We are not covering all the content in the chapters. <laughs> we will be covering all the chapters, Chapter, uh, Yeah, but uh, we haven't covered all the content. So you need to buy this book and get into it and dig into it. And then don't be afraid to start practicing it. Um, and uh, it, it's, it, we're just so thankful to, to Jeannie and Joan for writing this. And we know that you're listening, Jeannie and Jones. So thanks again. And we will be reaching out to uh, Dr. Michael Ling. And so I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he listens to the podcast, but uh, Dr. Ling, uh, if you see an email from me, uh, respond. <laughs> don't throw me in the trash bin. Uh, <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, really, really good. And um, if I would just have one parting word to say is that life is an apprenticeship. We never stop learning. And uh, um, we, we need to, to keep getting better at our craft and our practice. Uh, because people depend on us not to just get stuff done, but to open up opportunities for for others to grow and and to show, right? And so Mm -hmm. having said that, thanks again, ladies. This has been a pleasure. Mm
2: -hmm. A pleasure as always. Thank you.